morning. It's good to be with you here at Yarrawarra Online on Facebook. Uh, together here in your lounge room, wherever it is you might be. Uh, you might even be still in bed in your pyjamas. That's fine too. I hope you've got a cup of coffee and ready uh, for this morning. Uh, we will have time to hang out together over Zoom at the end of our time of singing and praying and reading God's Word and also uh, hearing God's Word explained. And we're going to have Drew do that this morning for his first sermon at Soul Revival Yarrawarra and he's doing it online to a camera, which is going to be, which is hard, I can tell you. Uh, and to do it first up, it's insane. So I'm really stoked that he said yes to doing this and really looking forward to it and I hope you are too. Now, you would have heard some things uh, this week where restrictions are starting to ease and there's phases that are going to happen. Uh, as a church, we are aware of these things and we are starting to think through what it will look like for us as we move out of this. And we're going to be thinking through those things over the coming weeks and we'll let you know uh, as best we can and as soon as we can what we're thinking as we move forward. But uh, I just want to thank you all for your patience in the way that You've just been really supportive of the way that we've been doing church online. It's been fantastic, uh, just how encouraging everybody has been and everybody's been keen to participate in whatever way. So thank you very much. Now, uh, there are lots of good things that are happening around the place. Uh, this week, it was, I think it's the International Nurses Week or Nurses Day or something. And so we know there are lots of nurses within our church and we give thanks for them. I'm going to pray uh, in just a moment, I'm going to give thanks for them and uh, thanks for our church and give thanks for a number of things. So actually, I might do that now. How about we do that? Let's pray together. Our dear gracious God, we know this morning that as we meet in this digital way, we know that no matter what happens, no matter what pandemic happens, no matter what level of isolation that we are in, we know that there is nothing that will separate us from the love that you have for us in Christ Jesus. The Father, that your church here on earth is more than the buildings that we meet in. They are about your people. They are about us. And so, Father, even though that we are meeting in this way, Father, we are still meeting as church. Yes, a little bit different, but still church because we are gathering around your word. Now, Father, we know too that sometimes as we read your word and we know that in your word you teach us how we are to live in a way that honours you and glorifies you, that you teach us how to, to love one another. Father, we know that sometimes we don't always do those things, that we look out for our own glory, we seek after ourselves. And Father, we don't love others as we should either. We seek the love of ourselves over other people. And we miss those opportunities to show that love that you have for us to others. And so, Father, we do this morning also want to say that we are sorry for those times. And we pray that through your spirit, that you would continue to work through us. So that we may honor you and glorify you as our Lord and Savior. And that we may love others in the way that you have loved us. So that we may show that Jesus changes everything. That Jesus is the one and only saviour of all and father we this uh, this weekend we want to give thanks to those that we know who are nurses in our hospitals father we thank you for them we thank you for the way that 
even through long shifts even double shifts lord they are patient and they are caring and they are loving father thank you for the way that you use the nurses in our community and and around our country and around the world to care for those who are in difficult situations whether they are sick or uh, distressed or whether even uh, something is broken like a broken arm or a broken leg father we pray for the nurses that we know in our community at survival church father we ask that you continue to give them strength and perseverance we ask that you give them endurance on those long long shifts and double shifts father we ask too that you would give them grace and mercy so that they can pour out that same grace and mercy onto those whom they care for father we in particular are thankful for those nurses who are on the front lines at the moment who are doing the testing and copying abuse from patients even nurses copying abuse in coals because they've got their uniform on father we ask we ask that just ask that through your spirit and through your people that you would that you would give them words of encouragement that you will let them know how valued they are and how appreciative we are of everything that they do that we don't take them for granted and that at this time we need them more than ever father I pray that you would help us to be those people who say those words of comfort of encouragement of life and Father, pray that we would not just do this to our nurses, but we would do this to one another, to our neighbours during this time, as they might be feeling lonely and isolated as well. Father, I ask that you would help us be the bearers of not just the good news of the death and resurrection of Jesus and the eternal life we have, but also the bearers of love and hope, of peace and faith. Father, we pray that you would use us during this time. And Father, we pray too that we would use things like Facebook, like how we're meeting now, to, to be that encouragement, to say those words of encouragement. And Father, I just want to finish up by praying for those who are feeling lonely and isolated, who are feeling disconnected, those who are feeling unloved, those who are feeling unwell, whether that's in body or mind or circumstances. Father, we ask that you would heal them according to their needs that you help them to feel connected to your love and to you and to your community, to your church, to your people. And Father, we pray that we would reach out and that we extend that hand of love to one another during this time. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, here at Survival Church, even uh, even as we meet in this way, the most important thing that we do here, it's not likes or comments, but those things are very helpful because it lets us know that you're with us today. And it was actually just, just to share a quick story. I was talking to someone this week who was greatly encouraged last weekend because there were, seemed to be more people commenting on the, the comment section just to the side here of our stream because it actually made them feel like that there were other people there with them, even though they were in their lounge room with just them and their partner and so can I encourage you uh, we're not doing this for comments and for likes but it, but those sorts of things actually really help us keep connected to know that we're still meeting together and we're there so please feel free to comment and like if you don't want it that's fine too but I just want to encourage you that if you do watch this and just kind of, kind of silently watch this maybe just say hi that's all you have to do 
just so that we know and others know that uh, that you are there with us and it's a great encouragement and a great blessing to us all to know that but the most important thing we do do here is not the likes and the comments it is read the bible and that's what we're going to do now yeah kath she's going to come and read the bible for us we're in daniel and just before kath does that uh kath how's things yeah, they're they're okay. They're okay. They're okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, uh, school gone back a little bit because week was it week three, week four now? Oh, that's a really good question. We're at the end of week three. <laughs> We're going into week four. <laughs> going into week four, uh, which is awesome. Uh, and so, as a, as a teacher, mm-hmm. getting students coming back. Yes, yes. yes. We've had uh, where I am. We've had our year eleven and twelves come back. Okay. So that's awesome because I got into teaching to teach students face to face. So that's much easier than trying to do it remotely. Yes. So (laughs) I guess, you know, what's something good that's happened this week is students coming back to school. Very cool. Would you believe it? There have been times (laughs) in the past where I've said school would be much easier than that. Students turns out it's not. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) And have the students been like fairly happy to be back as well? Like, are they kind of like, I've heard of a few kids who have kind of like, I'm actually really missing school. Yeah, it's kind of worked out okay for teachers. But I, I have been like in that, you know, students are saying, oh, I'm really glad to be, I'm so glad to be here. And I, I sort of have to go, oh, you're not being sarcastic. Like <laughs> it's actually le- genu- genuine, you know, desire yeah. to be part of community. But, you know, that's how we've been made to be in relationships. So. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I know that sometimes when, when students leave year 12, they, the next year or two, they kind of like wish they were back at school. Yeah. Are you, some of the kids kind of already got that feeling because they've been away a little bit? Or? Yeah, it's that, you know, you don't you don't know what you've got till it's gone kind yeah. of thing. I think so, yeah. yeah. So I think um, we've still got a few students who aren't yet back and they're pretty keen at this point. So yeah, yeah I think, yeah, it'll be nice the next few weeks getting everyone back and yeah. hopefully safe and adhering to any special <laughs> requirements we have to adhere to yeah. still. So yeah. you're doing social distancing in classrooms? Yeah, we have, a l- we have a little system yep. moving through the school and all that sort of stuff that yeah, we're, wow. yeah, yep. Well-oiled well well oiled machine. Yes, yeah. t- time will tell very shortly. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> well, yep. fantastic. Well, thank you very much, Kath. Um, thanks for singing. And you're also going to read the Bible for us. So I'll, yep. um, I'll throw no Okay, so we're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 4, starting at verse 28. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. Twelve months later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Even as the words were on his lips, a voice came from heaven. This is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. Seven times will pass by for you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people and ate grass like the ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honoured and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion 
his kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of the earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, my honour and splendour were returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and nobles sought me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. G'day everyone, it's, uh, it's great to be here. It's a real privilege to be able to um, open the Word of God with you today. Um, so what I thought we'd do is uh, we'd just start in prayer. So let's bow our heads. Lord Almighty, we ask that your Word will be brought to bear and your Holy Spirit move in our hearts. Bring the reality of your truth to bear in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that uh, I've been doing since this whole COVID-19 thing started is uh, I've been actually watching a lot more TV. Um, surprise, surprise. I'm pretty sure everyone is in that same boat. You know, Tiger King is currently the flavor of the month and there's that brilliant Michael Jordan documentary, which I'm sure a lot of people are glued to. Um, but one show that I've actually gotten into is Gordon Ramsay's Kitchen Nightmares. Um, Tina suggested that we watch it one night and I will admit I am completely hooked, you know. I just love the drama of it all, you know. You have Gordon Ramsay, one of the world's most blunt men, basically walk into these restaurants and he just tears them apart. You know, there's arguments, there's moldy food, there's lazy business practices. It's got something for everyone. I've also developed a very unhealthy uh, habit now of seasoning all of my food, uh, but that's something for another discussion. But as I've actually been watching Kitchen Nightmares, a common theme that I've actually noticed quite often is that Ramsay will walk into a place and after he's tasted all the food and he's watched how it actually operates, he finds the restaurant's problems are either the head chef or the owner. And it's because they simply don't see what's actually going on in front of them. You know, These chefs or owners, they actually don't think that the problem is the cooking or the way they're running it. They often think that it's actually the customers, which is that really fascinating dynamic. And it's when you get to see some of what's going on in these restaurants that you can't help but think, wow, these people, how are they actually not seeing this right? You know, It's crazy that they're blaming their customers when in fact it's the poor quality food or the poor kitchen service that's the problem. And most of the rest of the show is then taken up with uh, Gordon trying to show the reality of what's going on and getting them to change what seems obvious to everyone else. And it got me wondering, why is this? You know. Why are these people so blind to what's actually going on? And it wasn't until I saw one particular episode that the whole thing began to twig. There was this episode where one of the chefs, he loved to go out into where all the customers were and he'd have this, these conversations with them and he used to engage with the customers. And then he turns around and he tells the camera, I love to go to the customers because it is great for my ego. Word for word, that's what he said. And it dawned on me that the problem a lot of these places had was that pride gets in the way of reality. For this chef, he was so supremely confident that his, of his cooking skills and so self-assured that the way he ran his restaurant was right that he couldn't possibly consider that the problem was him. Pride had made him delusional and stopped him from seeing the truth. 
And pride is something that is part of the human condition. You know, it affects us all. I realize that's a very, very unpopular thing to say, but it's also true. And the passage that was read out for us says a great deal about the actual issue. So what I actually want to do is I want to go through the story and break it down into three parts. You know, the nature of pride, the effects of pride, and the cure for pride. Now, the story of Nebuchadnezzar's dream is, is a very involved one. And there's a little bit of background before the reading that was read to us. So I'll just give a really short summary of what that was. And basically, the scene starts with the king having a dream. And the dream greatly scares him. It really upsets him. And so what he does is he brings all the astrologers and the diviners and the magicians and the enchanters and he brings them to his side and he asks them, interpret my dream for me. None of them could do the job though. So what Nebuchadnezzar actually does is he brings Daniel in and he tells Daniel the dream and Daniel then becomes very, very scared. Very, very scared, visibly scared, right? And Daniel then interprets the dream for the king and uh, it is basically a judgment that uh, on Nebuchadnezzar by God for his sin. Now, fast forward 12 months after the dream and the king is walking on his palace, right? And he says these very fateful words. He says, Is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? It's that statement which actually prompts God to act. And it leaves us wondering, what was so wrong with what he said? You know, I mean, if there was actually one person in history that could say, I did it all, Nebuchadnezzar was one of them. You know, he built this amazing city with many, many, many wonderful things in it. You know, it was a city for the times. And he built things like the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. He built the Ishtar Gate, which was this beautiful processional into the city itself. You know, he was a monarch that was successful as a military commander. He led the chariots and he defeated the Assyrians. You know, he defeated the Egyptians. He captured Jerusalem twice. You know, so why couldn't he stand on top of his palace and say, you know, look what I've done. Why couldn't he take stock? Why couldn't he just look at it and go, go, this is what I've done. You know, what was actually wrong with it? The issue isn't that Nebuchadnezzar thought he had done a good job, right? It's not even that he admired the good job. The issue is, is that the king believed that he was better than everyone else because of what he'd done. When Nebuchadnezzar said, by my mighty power, for the glory of my majesty, it was another way of saying, I am greater than the average person. And what I have achieved in my life proves it. Nebuchadnezzar believed that what he had achieved in his life proved that he was greater than everyone else. And this pride is something that we also suffer from as people. And I understand how confronting that that is, but just, just think about it for a moment. You know, Think about when you've looked over what you have accomplished in your life and compared it to someone else and thought, I've made some pretty good decisions. You know, I've made great financial decisions. I've worked really hard. I've achieved this, this, and this. Look at how good I'm going in comparison to that person. You know, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I do it. I do it every single time I mow my lawn. You know, I spend hours mowing my lawn, making it look really pretty and all neat and tidy. I do the edges. It looks fantastic afterwards. And then I sit back and go, I'm better than all those other people around with, with their lawns, you know? And the thing is, you don't realize it until you're doing it. 
that's the problem, right? I don't mean to sound trite by saying something about you know my lawn, but because you're, you're probably thinking, you know, that's just your lawn, does it really actually matter? But that's my point. It's just my lawn, and yet I'm sitting here thinking that, you know? We're doing this over the most inane things in our life, but we don't think anything of it. It's something we're on autopilot for. We don't realize and we don't think about it because it's actually a cancer for our heart. It's a form of spiritual cancer. And this isn't something we just do when times are good. No, 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 no. We do this even when times are bad, right? When we're experiencing good times, our heart says, I deserve this. I've done this. This makes me better than everyone else. And then when we're experiencing hard times, our heart still tells us, you deserve better. You deserve better than this. You're not like the rest of the schmucks. You deserve better. Pride makes us look at life and say, I am owed the good things. I deserve them because I am better than someone, everyone else. And this is the nature of pride and this is how it actually affects us. This is what the story of King Nebuchadnezzar is about in this section. That he experienced pride just as we experience it. Now, moving forward with the story, there's, there's a few things that happen that are actually quite curious, particularly this thing. The story develops as God acts, right? A voice comes from heaven. Your royal authority has been taken from you. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat grass like the ox. The king was then driven away from his people and lived with the wild animals. You know, He grew really funky hair and he had really long nails that looked like a bird's claw. And at this point, we ask, what's going on? You know, This is weird. And there's two things going on here. And the first is this. Pride makes you delusional. The story is trying to show that pride is a form of delusion, right? I know that sounds dramatic, but hear me out for a second. Delusion is when we don't see reality clearly, right? It's not seeing the world that you're living in clearly. And pride distorts how you see the world actually around you. It stops you from seeing the truth that's right out there in front of you. Pride protects the idea in your mind that you're actually better than others. To do that, it changes the way you see the world around, around you and it insulates you from criticism because criticism threatens that sense of superiority that you've developed. Let me use an example of the chefs in Gordon Ramsay's TV shows, right? In so many of the episodes, they are adamant, absolutely adamant that the problem isn't their cooking or the way that they run their restaurant they're convinced that the problem is their customers, right? Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to, to work out that if the food quality is poor and people are sending their meals back, then the problem isn't the customers, but it's what you're serving the customers. Everyone's probably nodding going, yeah, that's right, that's true. But to those people, to the chef or the owner that is going through this, they don't see it like that. They don't see it as we're watching it unfold on TV because they're deluded. And that's what I mean when I say pride is delusion. It was the same for King Nebuchadnezzar. He believed he alone was responsible for building Babylon and that everyone and that made him better than everyone else. Remember that the king says, is this not the great Babylon I have built? Now, King Nebuchadnezzar is completely ignorant and not acknowledging the contribution that others made to building Babylon. 
you know, Nebuchadnezzar might have given the orders to build the city in a certain way, but the architects, the craftsmen, the laborers, they were the ones that did all the hard work. The king didn't build it himself. He built it with other people. And Nebuchadnezzar might have been the warrior king who led his troops into battle at the front on a chariot, but he wasn't the only warrior there. And in fact, the soldiers who marched out with him were every bit as critical to the success he had as he was. The king's claim was delusional. He deliberately ignored what others did in Babylon's construction and the achievements that he, he made as a monarch and considered it all his work. Now, the second part of this section is, is, is that pride defaces our humanity. Right? Now, what do I mean by this? Unfortunately, the life as a St. George supporter right now is a, a pretty desperate one. And uh, I went to a few games last year and their performances were absolutely terrible, right? And often in sheer frustration of what was going on, I would heckle my own team. And that heckling usually amounted to criticizing the players. I would critique Uranakin's defense and I would yell out at how bad Matt Duckty's pea-hearted effort was. And that's what I was doing. But it's only when I actually reflected on that that I realized the assumption was I could do a better job. That I was somehow better than them. And if I was in their place, I wouldn't have mucked it up. My pride turned the situation into something all about me. Right? I was the suffering supporter who deserved a better performance than what we were receiving. The key phrase there was, I deserved better from my team. My pride was showing through in my heckling. I stopped treating the players as human. I stopped having empathy for my own team. I stopped having compassion for them. I stopped considering their emotions and feelings. I was only thinking about how my team reflected on me, how it affected my pride. I mean, they were the ones out there getting belted. And yet, I'm sure they didn't feel good about that. You know, And here I was calling myself a supporter when I was doing anything but being supportive. My pride had dehumanized me. It had stopped me from seeing the players as people and made me treat them like they were objects. And this is something that we all do. I realize how controversial that is to say, but it's true. I mean, we do it as Christians. Have you ever walked into a church, a new church where you've never been before, and you sat there and you looked around and you're going, are these the types of people I want to be around? Are these the types of people that I want to become vulnerable to? Are these people going to make me look good? We all do it. This is what the author of Daniel is trying to show us by depicting the king as an animal. The king had become dehumanized. The king never once mentions that it's the people who he rules over that makes him uh, filled with glory. No, no, it's the city of Babylon that he built. He's completely forgotten about the human backbone that got him there. And the reason he doesn't acknowledge others for getting him where he is, is because it would shatter his image of himself as better than others. He'd be forced to share his greatness with them. And the king didn't want to do that. That's why God did what he did. It was a lesson. It was a lesson to say, by trying to make yourself look greater than you are, you have made yourself lesser. Now, the story continues. And at this point, God tells Nebuchadnezzar, um, seven times will pass by you for, uh, will pass by you 
um, until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Until finally, finally, the king raised his eyes toward heaven and his sanity was restored. Then he praised the Most High. He honored and glorified him who lived forever. So what changed for Nebuchadnezzar? What changed in the whole experience? And the key to understanding that is hearing what God says in verse 32. The Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms and gives them to anyone He wishes. Verse 32 is the only true cure for pride. What God was identifying uh, Nebuchadnezzar to Nebuchadnezzar is that you are not your life's author. What do I mean by that? Now, let me explain. We're currently sitting in Jai's garage and on his wall just there, there's this brilliant poster of, of Rambo. And um, there it is. It's even signed. It's a marvelous, marvelous picture. Sly Stallone in all his glory. And um, now, if I sat here, if I sat here and I said, I wrote the screenplay for this movie, then Sylvester Stallone would have every right to be very cranky with me. And frankly, I don't want to get him upset. Now, why would he actually be cranky? Because I didn't write it. He did. To say I wrote it is stealing credit for his creation. I'd be falsely claiming authorship. And it's the same thing for King Nebuchadnezzar. When he took the credit for building Babylon, he wasn't just robbing the other people who contributed to his creation of their glory. No, no. He was robbing God of his due. It wasn't acknowledging the role of God in the whole situation. You might be thinking, what's God's role in this? You know, how is he the author? And you know, by that same measure, you know, why is what I've got in my life a gift from God? Haven't I worked hard? You know, didn't I put time and effort and, and sacrifice into getting the things I've got? And there is some truth to this, you know, because people do work hard. People do sacrifice for things. King Nebuchadnezzar spent years building Babylon. He spent years conquering the surrounding nations. He spent years as the absolute monarch building this amazing kingdom, right? And it became one of the greatest nations of, of, of earth at the time. Of course, what he had built was out of his blood, sweat and tears. But that's not the right question. And this is the point that God wants to get across, right? God isn't worried about how hard you've worked to achieve something. No, no, no. God wants you to acknowledge who was there in the beginning. Think for a second. The king never chose what century that he was born into. He never chose what race he was born into. He never chose who his parents were. They were all things that were out of his control. Nebuchadnezzar was born into the right family at the right time with all the right resources made available to him to become the leading monarch of his time. And that is something that he has zero right to claim ever. But it made all the difference in determining his future. He was born with the opportunity to become king of Babylon, Babylon as his birthright. And that is more critical to his success than anything else. The king was not the author of his life. God was the author of his life. God started it all. And this is what God is trying to show him. And it's what Nebuchadnezzar eventually realized, right? Everything he had, everything that he built in his life was a consequence of what he had been born into. And that 
was the gift given to him by God. And that is exactly the same as it is for us. You know, I never chose my parents. I never chose what year I was born into or my talents that I was born with. I never chose any of that. I didn't. God did. And in fact, if I had actually been born 100 years earlier, I likely wouldn't have survived. Why? Because when I was being born, the cord was wrapped around my neck. It was only because the medical doctors at the time could see that, that they could intervene and do an emergency C-section, right? Had the doctor not done that, I wouldn't be here today and quite likely neither would my mum. You know, I didn't choose to be born in the modern era where there was that kind of medical intervention that could take place, right? It was chosen for me. And this is exactly the same for all of us. We were all born with circumstances that were chosen for us and have benefited us. The point of what happened to the king was so he could see who the author of his life actually was. And that author wanted Nebuchadnezzar to see that he was no more special than the average Babylonian. He wanted to see that he wanted him to see that God was really the gift that made the difference. And we need to look at our life in the same way. When we look out at what we have actually accomplished, at what we have, at the circumstances that we're living in, we need to remember who crafted our beginnings so that we could have all that was made available to us. The reason acknowledging your author is the cure for pride is because it humbles us and it makes us realize that we really are no better than anyone else. It forces us to deal with the reality of who is responsible for what we have today. And it's when King Nebuchadnezzar does this that his life is restored. And not just restored, but he was restored to his throne and became even greater than before. Allowing the truth of who the author of your life is will cure the cancer of pride in your heart. But the story of Nebuchadnezzar is not the only one about a king who was brought low to be humbled before being raised up. Several hundred years later, another king walked this earth who was greater than Nebuchadnezzar. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom was one that would endure from generation to generation. He was the king that Nebuchadnezzar spoke of when he said, No one can hold back his hand or say to him, What have you done? This was the king who scattered the stars in the sky and calls them each by their name. This was the king who emptied himself and took the form of a servant, the king who did not become to be served, but to serve, the king who left his palace in heaven to walk among his people without a place to lay his head. Jesus Christ was the only king who left his royal palace for his people so his people could inherit the kingdom he had created. He was the only king that wanted to share his glory with us. He was humbled and dehumanized on a cross so that we might be cured of the spiritual pride that captures our heart. And he raised himself from the dead so that we too might be raised up in glory with him as our chosen people, God's special possession. And it's when you see how Jesus humbled himself for our sake that we can see the truth that will set our heart free from the spiritual pride it is captured by. The gift of his sacrifice will humble you so you no longer see yourself as better than anyone else. But at the same time, it will assure you that you are worth so much more than you ever thought because the king of the universe was brought low even unto death 
so that he could raise you up into his royal palace. When you see that Jesus was humbled for us, even though we deserve to be humbled, and when you see that he allowed himself to be dehumanized on the cross and brought low so that we could be raised up, this will absolutely change the way that you see life. It will allow you to share in what you have with others. Because you know that what you know the value of what has been shared with you in Christ. And it will stop you from seeing yourself as better than others. Because the only person in the world who can truly say that they have done it all, who really was better than anyone else in the world, I mean, look at his life, took the hit for you, and shared what he had with you. That is the cure for pride. That is what you need gripping your heart. And when that happens, you will no longer care what you have or what you don't have in your life. You will rejoice in what you've got because you know you have the one thing in the universe that can never be taken away from you. The most valuable thing of all, inheritance into the kingdom of God. We have a, we, what a gift we have from the author of the universe. Let's finish in prayer. Father God, you are the eternal king. You are the king of the universe. You're the king who has done it all. Help us embrace your son Jesus into our heart so that it will cure our pride. Let us be humbled by what you have done for us. In your son Jesus' name, by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Revival Church podcast. Just a reminder, if you want to watch any of these services that we hold live, you can go to soulrevivalchurch.com and you can see all the gatherings at the top of the page. You can choose anyone you wish. It can be on Friday, Saturday or Sunday. Thanks again and one way. Music is OK by Ixa. Thank you.